Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings. Today's November the 15th. I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia at Bank Julius Baer and welcome to our podcast. There have been some big changes in financial markets over the past week. A week ago, the 10-year Treasury was yielding 4.2%. Now it's 3.8. The dollar index was at 110, now it's 106, and the S&P was 3,800, and now it's 3,950. Those are pretty big moves for just a few days, and the reason was the October inflation print that came out on Thursday. Inflation fell for the fourth consecutive month, and more importantly, because it's what the Federal Open Market Committee looks at, core inflation might be starting to roll over too. In fact, the gap between the actual core inflation and the one that the consensus of of economists had been forecasting was the widest since May of 2020. Now, frankly, the difference between the actual 6.6 and the expected 6.3 was not really that big when you think about it. Both are still high. But after so many months of higher inflation prints, the market was overjoyed to see it. Now, if we look beneath the hood, what continued to fall was commodities inflation. In fact, at 5.1%, it's even lower than services inflation at 6.5%. Services inflation has not rolled over yet. And the reason is that the shelter and rent components of the services inflation are still rising. They're the biggest part of it. Shelter and rent meaning real estate. But we know from other data series that both real estate prices and rent prices are coming down. Inevitably, that will show up in the inflation reading too. Property prices and rents might not collapse given tight supply, but if they just stop going up, that'll take the edge off. It's encouraging too that two alternative data series the Federal Open Market Committee looks at quite closely are also falling. The Cleveland Fed measures the trimmed mean CPI that removes the items with the largest price moves and the median CPI. Both of those fell from 0.6 to 0.4 and from 0.7 to 0.5 respectively. Our economist David Cole thinks this October reading ends for good, the post-pandemic inflation boom, and he thinks inflation is going to cool further between now and when the Federal Open Market Committee meets again on December 15. And at that meeting, he looks for one more 50 basis point rate hike. And then according to us, that's it for this rate hike cycle. That makes us a little different from what the market thinks. The futures market is looking for another 90 basis points before the rate hike cycle ends. The day the inflation report came out, the yield on five-year treasuries fell by 30 basis points, a 7% decline, bigger even than the amount it fell by when the market opened on September 13, 2001, two days after the World Trade Center collapsed. It's too early to say for sure. But if Treasury yields have finally peaked, that probably means our economist David Cole is right, and the last rate hike will indeed be next month. Then there's the dollar. The currency where the interest rate gap versus the dollar is the most extreme is, of course, the yen. On Thursday, the dollar fell 3.8% versus the yen, its largest drop since 1998. Since then, the dollar is down another 1%. I think it's safe to say as in the autumn of 1998. The dollar has peaked. Then in terms of the stock market, the moves are no less spectacular. The S&P's 5.5% rise on Thursday was the largest rise for any day when the CPI inflation report has been released. That 5.5% increase 
was also the 15th largest daily rise since 1950. There were 23 other days since 1950 when the S&P rose 5% or more. Three months later, it was down in nine out of the 23. But one year later, it was only down in two out of the 23. If we look more closely, there's clearly rotation going on. People are selling stocks that are up significantly year-to-date and buying the ones that are down significantly year-to-date because, obviously, a lot of people need to make back money going into the end of the year, and they want to get the most bang for their buck. Growth, which is technology, really, has been the hardest hit by the higher rates. As soon as the lighter inflation number was announced, growth immediately started outperforming, And one thing that's encouraging is the way that technology growth has traded through this most recent cryptocurrency collapse. Because back in the big sell-off in June, cryptocurrencies and technology stocks had a correlation of 0.9, which is to say almost one, which means they were trading almost in lockstep with each other. But today, cryptocurrencies are falling, their biggest scandal yet. The Nasdaq isn't being phased by that at all. In fact, it appears to have had found some pretty good support at the lower end of a rising trend channel that started at the bottom of the pandemic sell-off back in March of 2020. Lastly, I want to point out what's been happening in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng Index, believe it or not, is already up 25% since late October. It started with rumors the zero-COVID policies would be lifted. In fact, they aren't being lifted, they're being loosened. That's already a good enough start. And then over the weekend, we learned the government will be stepping in to help the property sector through credit support for developers, financial support to homebuyers. Both policy changes are important, and both mean we think that the rally in Hong Kong can continue. The Hang Seng Index is one of the oldest stock market indices in Asia. We can measure it going back to the 1960s. Never not in the Asian crisis, not in the global financial crisis, not in the protests of 2019. Did the Hang Seng Index fall below one times price to book? That is, until last year, when it fell below one times book and it kept on going all the way down to the 0.7 times book that it's on today, which is far too cheap. If you're willing to take a chance, there are so many cheap stocks in Hong Kong, and an old axiom among value investors is that if you can ever find a stock whose price-earnings ratio is numerically lower than its dividend yield, you should just close your eyes and buy because no matter how bad the news is, that's simply too cheap. Usually, price-earnings ratios are higher than the dividend yields. Just to use the S&P as an example, today the s and is on around 17 times price-earnings and has a dividend yield of about 2.5%. But there are many companies in Hong Kong where the price-earnings ratio is four to six times, and the dividend yield is seven to 10% and above. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. I wish you a great week ahead, and I'll speak with you again next week. Goodbye. Wealth Insights is a podcast series where Julius Baer experts discuss topics from a wealth management perspective. Whether it's starting a business, preparing for retirement, or transferring wealth to the next generation, our experts provide answers to the relevant questions. Available now on all good platforms, search for Wealth Insights on your favourite podcast player. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, 
our people, our latest thinking. Visit us at www.juliusbeer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.